The Heart of the Matter, an open line, open forum, telephone talk show, spotlighting issues of concern to people in every walk of life. To participate in the discussion, call Metro 445-1040 or Metro 445-1155. When you call The Heart of the Matter, please give your first name and turn down your radio. When it's your turn, you'll be on the air live. Okay, hello again, shalom. Uh, Zola Levitt with you on the heart of the matter. I won't be with you the next uh, few weeks, you know. Next week I go to speak at uh, Duquesne University at the Greater Pittsburgh Charismatic Conference. And then on to uh, Israel where we'll make some television programs. And uh, then a tour will come over, uh, our summer tour, and I will guide that tour through Israel. It'll go to Egypt, Israel, and through the Greek islands. Uh, the tour is closed uh, already, by the way. Uh, we'll go again. Uh, people have asked us, we'll go again for tabernacles. That's, that's getting to be quite a thing every year. The Christians of all nations turn up in Israel for the Feast of Tabernacles, as they will for a thousand years in the kingdom to come, says Zechariah 14, 16. And so I'll be gone anyway for until uh, about... Uh, June 20th or so, and the first show after that, I'll be back with you. So, uh, but I'll have fresh news from Israel and be able to discuss that with you. Uh, our phone numbers again, Metro 445-1040 and Metro 445-1155. I have a particularly difficult letter uh, today about uh, my disagreeing with Dr. McGee again. Uh, I don't think you can safely disagree with Dr. McGee. It's like disagreeing with an apostle, I guess, but I disagreed with him uh, when he was on this program uh, when he stated that Israel today is not a fulfillment of prophecy. And, uh, um, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say we had a discussion. He made long speeches, but uh, we never really came to the question. I, I brought up several prophecies, but uh, if you heard the show, then you know what happened. It, it didn't really come to any conclusion. People were uh, surprised. Uh, they had to compare the, the enormous respect of a venerable Bible teacher, who I enjoy myself on, on almost anything else he says, against uh, a doctrine which is very hard to swallow, that this is not a time of fulfillment of prophecy, and the restoration of the people to Israel is, has nothing to do with prophecy. That is what he said. But anyway, I got a letter, uh, postmark Tyler. Uh, any average near Protestant denomination that you can sit week after week and not hear. However, had you looked more closely at those readings, you would have observed that they were definitely from Scripture, even though they were not bound uh, within the covers of the Bible. Well, if I'm, if I'm a, an unbeliever sitting in church, I don't want to have to look more closely. I want it told to me it's number one. There's no good reason for forming a church at all if we're not going to make disciples, and that should be plain and clear. But I, I am afraid that even some of the leadership of the church isn't safe from what they say and what they, what they do. You could say the same of, of the leadership of any of the main lines. Yes, yeah, suppose I could, but uh, when we're talking about the Roman Catholics, we're talking about 500 million people, and I think it's tragic, frankly, uh, that, that uh, they don't get out a better salvation message so that I could assume that everyone in the church is saved. I won't, I won't, you know, venture to guess what the percentages would be within our church versus any other church, but I would say that probably, 
there are as many who are saved by the grace of God within our church as there are within other churches. And I would say that the witness of life and that the, the fruit of the changed life is there within the people from my church. I won't say that there aren't problems in the Roman church or say that there aren't problems in any of the other churches. Well, trying to liken a problem, let's say uh, that the... Uh Baptists and Methodists disagree on how deep in the water you dunk somebody when you baptize them or whether you just throw the water at them. Okay, that's one level of problem. Another level of problem is, shall we pray to Mary? Shall we think the Pope is infallible? Shall we uh, do all these other strange things that haven't got a ghost of a scripture behind them? Those are two different levels of problem. But people, people do not pray to Mary as though they were praying to a God. I repeat the Pope's words to you again from Poland. Holy Mother, we beg you to grant this request. Newsweek, last week. You know, I've, uh, you've had enough dealings with the media to know that sometimes things are misquoted. Oh, come on, Jeff. I've heard it uh, all my life. <laughs> you know he prays that way. I don't know that. <laughs> you say that the Pope has never prayed to Mary? Oh, that? You, you sound very authoritative. Uh, I, I graduated, to go over it again for you, I'm very familiar with the Catholics. I graduated a Catholic university, I've gone to the church, but I don't think I have to sit here and prove the Pope prays to Mary. He does it every day of the week. The, the way, it, the Catholic understanding of what is done is through Mary, as an intercessor, as one... Okay, now that's unscriptural. There's no scripture for that. Paul didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. There's not a breath of scripture. And if you want to make the point, answer me with chapter and verse. I am, I am strongly, I am a very scriptural, you know, Chapter and verse. Charismatic Catholic Christian. Chapter and verse for praying to Mary. But I will say that the if you will examine the line of apostolic authority where Jesus commissioned the disciples to go and, and, and make disciples, make disciples of all nations, you know. He also passed on a teaching authority that went through those disciples. I am not against the Bible in any way. I can you give me a chapter and verse for praying to Mary, or can't you? I can't quote you that. Okay. I don't think it's there, Jeff. That's the point I'm making. I'm not trying to start a, you know, some kind of personal debate, but... It's not there, and yet they do it, and, and it's just as, as nutty as, as, I don't know what, praying to Job. This, you know, when you put it on the level of making it sound like it's praying to the dead or whatever. It is praying to the dead. Not dead, because, because God is the God of the living. Jeff, Mary is dead, and uh, she will be resurrected and with us in the kingdom, I don't doubt. But there is no reason in the world to ever pray to her, not even once, in the scriptures. You can't give me chapter and verse. You can talk in circles, but it's because you're emotionally interested in this. You can't simply say you're right. There is no chapter and verse. We shouldn't do it. There's, there's nothing to, to contradict uh, in, in the same sense. You know, you can't prove a negative, but there's nothing in there that says... Uh, I don't have to prove a negative. If it were important, every apostle would say, and be sure you pray to Mary. <laughs> yeah. It is not praying to Mary, and you, you're misstating it when... The Pope's words again, Holy Mother, I beg you to grant this request. And, the, and when you say Holy Mother, though, what you're saying is, as when Jesus turned to John and said, you know, uh, son, see your mother. Mother, see your son. You know, but John... Oh, don't take me around there. I understand what he says when he means Holy Mother. Jeff, I'm going to have to cut it because I have to go to a break. But thank you for your call. God bless you. <coughs> Once the doctrine is in you, nothing, nothing will take it out. Uh, facts won't help. 
I'm going to go ahead a quick break, and uh, lines are full. You can try me on uh, 445-1040. On the heart of the matter, just a couple of minutes, let's try and get back to our phones. Don't forget the TV show Sunday night when I'll be talking with Mayor Teddy Kolek on Zola Levitt Live. 9 o'clock Sunday evening, Channel 39. Richard? Yes. You're on the heart of the matter. Okay. Um, well, I'm calling about uh, what the man was talking about a couple of minutes ago about the Catholic Church. Of course, I realize I'm probably not on the current topic because I've been away from the radio. That's all right. But uh, I am a Catholic, and I was formerly uh, a Christian before I became a Catholic Protestant, although I wasn't actively in any particular faith. And his ignorance of the Catholic faith is absolutely astounding. Um, we do believe that Jesus Christ saves us from all our sins, and that through him comes resurrection. Um, that's what communion is about, through his body, um, body and blood. Are, are we saved? Um, his comment on the worship of Mary and the dead people, no Catholic I know worships either Mary or the dead. Mary is adored because Scripture says, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou among women. The Scripture says that? That's that it is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Of course, uh, those words may not be quite exact, but remember her encounter with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth goes into a monologue? Yes, uh, uh, that's true. But uh, the repetitious prayer, that is saying that thing 300 times as a penance for some sin, is that... Oh, now that's... Okay. Now, see, what, before I became Catholic, I found that uh, there were a lot of things I thought were absolutely uh, hideous about, you know, the Catholics. What are these people doing babbling on like pagans? Well, in praying the rosary... Um, first of all, sins are forgiven by Christ. The, the penance is, um, is something else that I uh, take too long to get into. But praying the rosary is a method of meditation. And as you're saying these prayers, you meditate on the events of Christ's life. For instance, his death and his resurrection, uh, his birth. It's, it's not a mindless, as a matter of fact, it's an excellent way to become uh, closer to Christ because you're in, a, you're, in a, you're in a left field thinking. Oh, goodness, Richard. I don't know if I, I buy it. I mean, the constant repetition of the same phrase is what they do in transcendental meditation. It puts the mind to sleep. Um, well. I mean, that's just a human physiological fact. It's not, it's not intended for that. And uh, no, but it's like a mantra. To repeat and repeat the same formula over and over again is to put the mind to sleep. And it, it's nowhere in the scripture is it said to do that. And in fact, it says to avoid vain repetitions. Vain repetitions, right. Well, that's not my main point. Um, his idea that, that we aren't Christians and we don't accept the body and blood of Jesus Christ as, as saving us and his dying for us is just, you know, appalls me and his ignorance of the Mass. If you really look into the Catholic faith, you find out that Catholics are Christians after all. That, that's all I wanted to say. We've um, understood the Holy... Well, I don't know if I say I understood... Well, the Scripture says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. If you're a Catholic and you do that, you're saved. Right. That's what I know. Right. But it has nothing to do with whether you're a Catholic. It's believing on the Lord Jesus for your salvation. And otherwise, you know, I mean, I could sit here all day, one Catholic after another. Now a guy will call and say, I am appalled by Richard's lack of knowledge. And the, the reason, you're, you don't have a lack of knowledge, and neither does Jeff. It's just that the Catholic Church varies not just from village to village, but from block to block in what they think. This has been my experience. It certainly does, and, and that's too bad. I'm, I'm afraid this fellow's, uh, I don't want to personally deride him. Because uh, and the next guy's going to get you. I know. I don't, I don't want to start that. <laughs> if we get back to the Bible instead of what papal pronouncements we like and so on, then the church would all be the same, and then there would be no complaint.
Yeah, but how do we get that? Uh, yeah, just buy a Bible and start to read it. It works for the Baptists, and then it works for the ones that, that use it. Uh, what can I say? I'm not either praising the Baptists. There's plenty of Baptists without Bibles, but I teach three things in my ministry, Bible, Bible, and Bible. And if I put that thing away, all I'll be teaching is the latest opinion of Zola Levitt, who is by no means infallible. Well, okay. Uh, I believe in reading the Bible, too. And uh, absolutely, I read, I read the Bible every day. Of course, I'm not... Okay, we're going to have to get off the air because it's one third. Get your Bible out and read some. Call me next week. Okay. Okay. Bye. And take two aspirins, right? Uh, Sunday Nightmare Kolek on the television program. I want you to see that one especially. He's such a nice guy, and he gave us his time. 9 p.m. Channel 39 on Zola Levitt Live. Till we talk again, Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The views and opinions can get along. So it probably works better on a farm than it does in a country. I'll, I'll give the Dallas numbers again, 742-8930, 742-8930. And anywhere in the nation, we have called now from, it looks like, New Jersey. Boy, it does jump around, Tennessee and Florida, and uh, I'm going to grab this New Jersey call, but I'll give you the number, 1-800-532-5500, okay? 800 number that calls on us, 532-5500. Uh, Irene? Yes? Uh, Maple Shade. Right. Is that New Jersey? Yes, it is. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Am I on? Or you are on the air. Okay. Uh, I happen to be a Hebrew Christian, and I've gotten a lot of mail from Friends of Israel, Jews for Jesus, Chosen People, Messianic Vision, and I wonder if they all have the same beliefs. If they what? If they all have the same beliefs. I know that they all believe in the Messiah, but uh, I just wondered whether they all have the same beliefs all these organizations? I, you know, essentially, you know, as much as uh, uh, Christian groups uh, differ anywhere else, mm -hmm. I would I would not draw in much distinction between them. What, what specific area might they disagree on, do you think? I, I don't really disagree, but I was at a bank with for the Messianic Vision, and there were some people there that said that they uh, uh, did not think that the Friends of Israel, which is very close to where I live, their headquarters, uh, had the same sort of beliefs, and I I thought that they do, but I was wondering whether they do or not. Well, they all agree on the Messiah. <laughs> That's yes, for sure. Right. Then uh, you're going to have refinements of doctrine where one outfit stresses one thing and one the other. Uh, Jews for Jesus is very evangelistic, as I know them. Uh, friends of Israel are scholarly and publish uh, uh, good tracts and literature, which I've read myself. American Board of Missions of the Jews, the same way. Uh, periodicals and publications and evangelism. But, you know, in Christianity, you have to live with the fact that, that the Bible is a thousand-page book on which people differ. And if you look at the whole the Gentile Christian community, it is very fractional. There's 300 American Christian denominations. They all disagree on, on you know, what, uh, what is baptism for and what should you pronounce over the person and do you dunk them all the way or just throw the water at them and stuff like that. Yeah. That's just the way people treat Christianity. And among the Jewish people, which is a smaller community, it's going to be little differences too. I don't know what they are, but I wish they weren't there, and really we should work against that. Well, I feel, I, I guess I feel the same way you do. I just, you know, I, I support all of them, and I, I read all their magazines, and I think the banquets given by them, and they all seem pretty much the same, but, 
when I went to a Messianic vision banquet, I noticed that some of the Hebrew Christians had the yarmulkes on. So I thought that maybe they were stricter Jewish people than some of the others. I see. Yes, there is that difference among the Jewish Christians. The yarmulkes for the benefit of our listeners, are the black skull caps. Uh, they don't have to be black, but skull caps that the Jewish people wear when they pray. Some uh, Messianic Jewish groups wear uh, Jewish garb and so forth, emphasizing not particularly their Judaism, but to make the Jews they witness to feel comfortable. Others uh, say, no, that's not it. There's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ, so we're not going to wear that stuff anymore. But look, it's not important. I, I know it's not important. I just wondered, you know, as I say, I heard these different people speak this way, and I was wondering whether I was listening to the right thing or not, but they all seem basically the same to me, and, and I they just really like are. them the way they are. I yeah. like all of the organizations. They really, they really are. Every organization you mention is one I receive periodicals from, too, and since you mentioned Friends of Israel, I value very much their periodical on the uh, bride and the bridegroom from which I took my information for my book, A Christian Love Story. Uh, I, I find them all valuable and, and, and good friends, and I won't say there are no differences and no arguments. Uh, that's, they're all still in the flesh, but uh, uh, nothing that should bother us. Okay, fine. Okay, Irene. Thank you. Are you a Hebrew Christian, too? Yes. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. okay. Shalom. Uh, that was Maple Shade, New Jersey. Well, we we get some calls from from towns with very interesting names, don't we? <laughs> like, for example, nobody's heard of them before. Let's go ahead and and uh, take a quick break. I'll be coming back to June in Dallas. Uh, line seven's taken nationally, but otherwise on the nation. Call me at one eight hundred five three two fifty five hundred. Sunday night at 9 on Channel 39, watch the television version of Zola Levitt Live. Zola's weekly telecast features provocative guests and timely subject matter on the Middle East, prophecy, and current events. From the desert sands of Egypt to the majestic temple site in Jerusalem, you'll experience Bible studies that'll bring the scriptures to life. Witness the Wailing Wall, the Sea of Galilee, the Garden Tomb, Ephesus, Patmos. Bible studies given on the actual location that inspired the biblical authors. And you'll find Zola's studio programs equally as informative. Musical guests such as Dallas Holm and other guests like astronaut Charles Duke, sports personalities, politicians, guests that bring with them special insights into the practical applications of God's Word. Sunday night at 9, have your Bible opened and tune to Channel 39 and watch Zola Levitt Live. Okay, back on the heart of the matter, and uh, I have some Dallas lines. You know, Dallas people, <laughs> I said the heart of the matter. That's, that's another radio program I do, and I knew it was bound to happen. This is Zola Levitt Live. We do get to the heart of the matter, but on Zola Levitt Live. <laughs> uh, the Dallas lines aren't being much used tonight, and Dallas people are funny that way. Then they think, well, all these national people need to call, and, and Dallas hospitality being what it is, they sit back and they don't call. But you can go ahead and call. Please be my guest, 742 8930 And look, when you call the show, uh, if the line is ringing, hold on. We're here. Uh, the, we can't get to every line. We have a whole nation full of telephone calls, but it might take 10 or 15 or I don't know how many rings till we get you. Then you've got a line. Sit still, enjoy the show, turn the radio off when you talk to me. 
uh, or turn it down so it doesn't get echoing back through your telephone. But hold on if it's if it's ringing. If it's busy, of course, you have to dial again. But once once it's ringing, hold on to that line. All right. Uh, going to Dallas now, uh, June. Yes. You're on the heart. Uh, you're on the Zola Levitt Live. All right. <laughs> All right. My question is: uh, during, uh, at the rapture, yep. when the saints go up, uh-huh. uh, the the lost people that are left on earth. Now I realize that 144,000 Jews will be saved. Yes. Uh, during tribulation, but. Uh, I, my understanding from Thessalonians that you know that I gave you is that if you have heard the gospel at least once uh, before uh, the rapture, then you can't be saved. I've heard that taught, and I don't know exactly why they teach it this way. Uh, it sounds like God is up there trying to keep people out, where actually He's trying to take them in. I don't think that's true. Uh, there's an enormous amount of salvation in the tribulation period, so much so that when the Lord comes back, he actually has to hold a hearing of immigration into the kingdom, uh, the sheep and goats trial of Matthew 25, 31 to 46. If there's that many people who were saved, I can't believe that all of those people never heard the gospel before even once. Uh, it's unreasonable. I don't know where it says something like that. Uh, well, uh, in, um, let's see, and um, Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians, uh, two. Let's see. It says, um, and the deceivableness uh, of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. Yeah, it's true that uh, a strong delusion comes on the world with the Antichrist, but it can involve every person or there would just be no salvation. Uh, the 144,000 are selected to testify, but how can they testify if everybody's deluded and won't believe them? So it can't be, you have to weigh scripture against scripture, it can't be 100%. Even though people are deluded, they still can be made to see. Uh, even though the Jewish people are blind in part, it says, uh, some of them still get saved in this age. Uh, you know, the Lord healed blindness and said, we'll do even greater works than these. So uh, I've heard it said, and it, it makes me a little uncomfortable, because it's as if we give a person a shot at the gospel, then we walk away in satisfaction thinking, aha, now they, they haven't got a chance to ever repent and they're going to hell. That's not a Christian attitude, and it's not God's position. Okay, then the next question uh, was about um, uh, the 144,000 yes. and the tribes. Well, uh, the tribe of Dan, you know, when, when the uh, 12,000 are being selected out of each tribe, the yeah. tribe of Dan is left out. I know. It. And I, I think it's because uh, they turned to idolatry, but didn't all of the tribes at one time or the other turn to idolatry You're and right. back? You are right. I don't think it's uh, any punishment of Dan. I think that, you know, nobody knows the answer to this, but I think that the nomenclature just changed. The way we, we call them by their names is different in Revelation than it was in the ancient days. And it's true in Isaiah, too. When Isaiah says Ephraim, he means all ten northern tribes. 
He doesn't really just mean Ephraim, if you look at his language. That's the only explanation I have, but it's not that God is punishing Dan. All the tribes were sinful, just as all the churches are sinful. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay, Jim. I really enjoy your program. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay. Uh, calls coming from Campty, Louisiana, Willoughby, Ohio, and another one from Dallas. Let's go ahead and uh, see what we've got out there. Uh, Eddie? Yes, Zola? Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Um, since the Bible states You called the right place. Okay. <laughs> you ready? <ahead>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Since the Bible states that it's a once appointed for a man to die, and after that the judgment, how does the Bible explain uh, why we as believers should escape death after the rapture? Well, I'll just hang up and wait on your answer. Do you understand the question? In other words, we that are alive <coughs> and remain and right. walk with the Lord, why uh, don't we die? Right. Okay. I mean, God's not one for going back on his word. I mean, why are we different? Okay. Thank you, Eddie. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a little bit hair-splitting, but, <laughs> you know, we're changed right to the resurrection. It's true, there's one generation that doesn't see death in that sense, but I think it counts as death when we're changed, because we go through a metamorphosis, as in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, this uh, mortal flesh must put on immortality, and this uh, corruptible body must become incorruptible, and so uh, it's 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 like dying and being brought back except we don't literally die I'm, I'm not waffling I just I don't have a better explanation uh, to compare a scripture like it's appointed on the man once to die is meant for the billions upon billions who have lived in all the generations except that one which the Lord selects at the rapture and uh, I hope it's a lot of people but it's incomparably small compared to all of them of all time this, uh, the best I have on it. That's an interesting question to farm out. I don't know if, you know, some of, of the scripture is meant to be understood in spirit, and when you when you grind down to the letter that fine, I, I think you probably can find some illogic, but it's not meant that way. Um, Larry Willoughby, Ohio. Yes, sir. You're on the air. Okay, thank you. I'm interested to know your uh, understanding of uh, uh, Melchizedek. If, if I'd like to know if you feel this is a theophany, and the high priest uh, yeah, like I, being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, yeah. Let me answer you on the air, if I may. Is that your... Pardon me? Can I answer you on the radio? Certainly. Okay, thank you. Uh, a theophany is an appearance of God before the fact, and Melchizedek you know, can be that. There's uh, mysterious statements about him that he has has no background, no lineage, as if no parents, and so on. And uh, really, uh, uh, I don't know that it's an appearance of God. It looks as though Melchizedek is put there to create a type or a shadow. Someone a Abraham reports to a higher priest than him, uh, a priest higher than the order of the priest which will come from Levi, uh, a priest on the order of Christ. He's a type and a shadow of Christ, but a theophany is making it pretty strong. I'm only, I'm only uh, uh, guessing at this. The information on Melchizedek is very, very sparse, and questions on him tend to be very difficult. Uh, I don't think it's as strong as a theophany. It's just something Paul did like, uh, I mean, God did like the uh, visitation of an angel to uh, establish some particular and special purpose. 
I'll go ahead back to Dallas see what they have to say. Hey, Paul? Yes. You're on. You're in Dallas, right? Yes, I am. I'd like to ask you about music in the synagogue worship in the time of Jesus. How did they work it into the worship, and what was its style? Was it folk music? Was it special religious music? Or just how did they work it into the worship? Well, I'm not, I'm not uh, dead sure on that. I know in the time of uh, the first temple, we had a splendid Levitical choir uh, under Solomon's time, and that they sang uh, very likely the Psalms of David. And I'm going to guess that the tradition was continued that uh, some of the priesthood were singers because it, it's that way in the synagogue today. Uh, they have special appointed singers. As a matter of fact, they have a leading singer called a cantor who, who chants. That means a chanter. And uh, that is very Oriental, very Middle Eastern, and, and I think comes from the Bible to start with. But I can't uh, pin it down to the time of Christ and tell you exactly what they did, except that if they sang, it was, it was men singing and not women. And... Uh, Probably the texts were the songs, uh, psalms, I should say. Uh-huh. What did it resemble the folk or popular music of the day, or was it special religious music? I would rather say special religious music, since uh, we're talking about the temple. I understand. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Goodbye. That was a rare call from Dallas. We now we we used to have people from Dallas crowding up all the lines. Used to beg them to uh, get off the phone so we could talk to some people from the nation. Now it seems quite the other way. Uh, let's see. I have Francoise from Plano and Leanne from Hudson, Florida. Let me try to get this call from Florida real quick if I can. Uh, Leanne. Yes. Yeah, Hudson, Florida. Go ahead. Hello, Brother Zola. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what's the best way to refute the idea that only 144,000, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses say that they're the only ones going to heaven. Open uh, to Revelation 7, 4 and read them the verse. It says they are from the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. That should end it right there. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, it's hard to argue with somebody from a cult, but uh, it is. Uh, nevertheless, if I had a Jehovah's Witness call me on uh, my local radio program and and say that he's one hundred forty-four thousand, and I asked which tribe he was from, uh, and 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 was his was he Jewish, and so on. And he's not Jewish, and so on. I said, well, that's strange. It doesn't agree with the scripture. And he right. says, why do you say they're from the twelve tribes of Israel? So I read him the verse, that put it to bed. I mean, somewhere they got to close close the mouth, you know, and and mm -hmm. read the scripture. <laughs> okay. That's all I can suggest. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, Leanne. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. Bye. Okay, I, I'm going to go to a break uh, in a few seconds if I can see my engineer. And uh, uh, our phone numbers remain the same. I'll be back after this. It's a three-minute break. You'll hear real nice music locally. I don't know what nationally. I wonder what they play in a uh, three-minute break nationally. But stay tuned. Do stay tuned. We're coming back with another whole hour of this right after this.
At 9 o'clock, you're listening to KCBI Sunshine Stereo for Dallas-Fort Worth. And you're listening to Zola Levitt Live, the nationwide call-in program with Zola Levitt. Listening to Zola Levitt Live, the weekly talk show featuring Zola Levitt and you. If you'd like to speak to Zola, the toll-free number from anywhere in the country is 1-800-532-5500. For those living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you may call Zola at 742-8930 or Metro 654-1400 and speak to Zola Levitt Live. Okay, back on uh, Zola Levitt Live. And our phone number is Dallas 742-8930. Indeed, all those lines are full right now. The national line's 1-800-532-5500. That's a toll-free call. It's on us. Just dial an 800 number, 532-5500. All right, I'll tell you what. We'll have a momentary. I, you know what happened? All the people called during the break, and you may do that. That's fine. The engineer will hold the calls in the order they come, but uh, um, is not uh, as yet posting your names. So I'll review again. We're offering Satan in the Sanctuary tonight, which is a book on the Tribulation Temple. We haven't had too many questions on that. That was in the teaching half hour. If your station is one that comes in uh, halfway through the show or after the opening half hour, then uh, we taught tonight on the possibilities of Israel rebuilding the temple and the fact that uh, my book on that subject, Satan in the Sanctuary, is in a revised edition uh, simply because it was written in 1973. It's only 10 years later, and uh, uh, we have no, uh, we, I mean, we have reason to write a, a whole nother, well, not a whole nother book, but a revision. So many things have happened uh, since then. A minute. Go ahead, please. You're on the air. All right. Uh, my name is Francois. I'd like to know uh, if it's a logical scenario that it would be a limited nuclear war in the Middle East before uh, the attack of uh, Russia against uh, Israel, like uh, attacking, uh, yeah, like Israel would uh, would be attacked by Syria. Uh, 
Iraq and uh, you know Libya and some uh, country like this, and then would retaliate with nuclear. Then, uh, therefore, uh, then would be a law, and between that there would be the Antichrist would come in, and then Russia would see that that uh, uh, somebody else is taking over the world beside them, and then they would attack Israel, try to take control of the Gulf. That's possible, but why would we need that first war? I mean, what in the Bible makes you think so? Yeah, and uh, in Joel, they're talking about pillar of smoke and everything, and uh, desolation of Lebanon and, uh, and uh, Egypt and uh, Syria, completely desolate for forever. So that's talking about nuclear, probably. Hmm, interesting. Okay, let me answer you on the air, Francois. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye. Uh, well, we're on dangerous ground if we say there's a prophecy in the Old Testament prophets about the church age. In other words, uh, to assign it to a war before the end times is to say that Joel foresaw an event between the coming of the Holy Spirit and the second coming. In other words, within the church age. That's uh, that's very hard to surmise. As you see from Joel 2, 28 to 32, he puts the outpouring of the Holy Spirit right next to the second coming. In other words, uh, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and whatnot. And, and then he says, the moon will turn to, to blood and all of the rest of the signs of the second coming. He goes right smack to Armageddon and the second coming. So he doesn't see the church age at all. So I, I'm leery about putting a war before the end, in other words, in the church age, before the tribulation even, uh, I rather would see it as Armageddon being described or the expression there, desolate forever, uh, saying that their culture is gone, uh, which will be a fact after Armageddon. The, in the kingdom, we hear of Egypt, but never Lebanon or Syria, and uh, the Egyptian culture is quite different. They speak the language of Israel and believe in Jehovah, as we see in Isaiah 19. So, uh, it's a complex question, but I would rather not posit one prophecy for the church age, because then I'm going to be stuck with trying to make bunches of others fit and uh, matching up present-day situations, as tempting as it is. Say, a situation you read in a newspaper with a prophecy in the Bible is really not that successful most of the time. Let's it's, it's just say that from experience. Uh, Jim, yes. in Wisconsin, Rapids, Wisconsin. Right. Okay, go ahead. Say, um, what would have happened if, if the Jews would have accepted Jesus as the Messiah? Ooh, you know, I knew there was a night this question was going to come. How would that have <laughs> changed, you know, the order of, of a couple of things? Oh, boy. Well, for one thing, he said the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and it would have been. Uh -huh. he, would, he, he would, I guess, have started it. The Problem offer was made to them, right? Oh, yes. I imagine then the Romans would have crucified him because he's calling himself a king. In other words, I guess that would have happened. That still would have had to have happened. Yes, because it's prophesied in the Old Testament. Yeah, I realize it was. And he is resurrected from the dead because he is the king. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then he vanquishes the Romans and... All of the prophecy about a final abomination of desolations, uh, uh, the consummation, in other words, Armageddon, could apply to that. Uh -huh. And the kingdom would start right then, and no prophet would be violated. I see. Everything would come out, except we wouldn't have the church age. And your next question is, what happens to Jim and Zola? I don't know. 
<laughs> well, would, would we, rather than becoming, uh, let's say, Christians, we would have had to have been Jews, first of all? I don't know if we'd exist at all. The kingdom's only a thousand years long, and we're, we're 1,900 years deep here. Yeah. I guess we wouldn't have been born, <laughs> and our parents wouldn't have been born. In other words, we raise a whole bunch of questions. You raise questions that are so... Uh, that sets you off like the theory of relativity. You know, can I go back in time and make sure my parents didn't meet? And yeah. if I can do that, yeah. when I get back, uh, uh, are they still going to have my room at home? Yeah. I uh, realized <laughs> that, but the other day when I realized that, that the offer was made to them, then I was wondering, you know, just exactly what does take place. Uh, they, God sometimes at least says he <laughs> he uh, he waits on a human ruling. He doesn't interfere with our free will and they could have accepted the kingdom but on the other hand God in his omniscience can look ahead and know that they will not right so that there was there was space for them to accept let me put it that way yeah. God has changed his plans he has said that in other words when he was going to destroy the whole nation of Israel and Moses said what will Pharaoh think and so on it flatly says God repented of his plan in other words he changed it uh, he, re he said, it repenteth me that I made uh, man in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, so <laughs> God can change according, he does, God really doesn't change, it's just that what men do makes God shift his position to be the same God, right. uh, to be just and merciful. But uh, you bring up a fascinating question, which I used to while away the hours with, with uh, uh, good Bible readers. Uh, what would happen if they accepted the kingdom, and would it violate any prophecy? And as a matter of fact, the essential things could all have happened, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the setting up of the kingdom, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, uh, Armageddon, etc., but all, all right back then. And if they had accepted him, that would have made things a whole lot simpler. There would never have been any such thing as missionary work. Boy, we wouldn't have ever had any buses. <laughs> we would never, we would never have had all the things we have in this awkward church age. Some of which are very lovable, and some of which are a lot of trouble. <laughs> But it's, you ask one of the very interesting biblical questions. I, I really don't know. The only one more interesting than that is where would we be if Adam hadn't eaten a fruit, and where yeah. would Adam be? Yeah. Adam would still be here. But uh, restitution was still going to have to be made with Christ's death. No matter what. Uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I guess that's right. See, the Romans would have killed him, but for the wrong reason. Uh -huh. They would have killed him because he's proclaiming himself king. And, uh, well, I mean, he would have let them kill him. He is king. Uh -huh. But in order to make restitution, indeed, to do Isaiah 53 and say he goes before the, the shearers uh, as a sheep uh, to the slaughter, yes, he has to die. Uh -huh. They'd kill him because they think they're killing somebody who wants to be Caesar. Right. They wouldn't realize they're killing somebody king of the kingdom, <laughs> king right. of kings and uh -huh. lord of lords. But they would play their part, okay. as they did. Okay, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Okay.